You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Why, hello there, and welcome to the 602 Club. My name is Matthew Rushing, and I am the host here, and I'm so excited that you have decided to join us. Uh, we've got a great episode coming up for you, and I'm really excited to welcome back, actually, to the 602 Club. I feel like... Well, it really hasn't been a while, Bruce, because uh, we just talked about Flash not too long ago. But uh, welcome back to the 602 Club, man. Wow, that's so funny because I was just sitting here thinking, yeah, when was the last time I was on? I was like, oh, The Last Jedi. And then you're right. We did do The Flash, but that feels like forever ago to me. That was just last month. I know, but the year is flying by and it really does feel like it was a long time ago. It does. Like in a galaxy far, far away, but not really. Just a different dimension. Absolutely. Yes, um, which luckily we're going to be in a galaxy far, far away tonight as we talk about one of the books that had come out uh, before The Last Jedi called The Legends of Luke Skywalker, which I'm excited to dive into this one. Um, I, I think it's it's going to be, a, a, we're going to have some fun conversation coming up. So just want to make sure, though, before we dive into the conversation on the book, check us out all over the place. We're on iTunes at iTunes.com slash TrekFM, which is a great place to hit up the 602 Club with a star rating and review. Now, it's been a while since we've had a new one, so uh, help other people find the show. Let us know what you think of the show. Head on over to iTunes and uh, our Apple Podcasts uh, and give us that star rating review. Let us know what you think. Um, and like I said, you know, just help other people find the show um, when they're searching for podcasts. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. Uh, we've got the Listeners Only Discussion Group, which is on Facebook called the Babel Conference. Bruce and I are both there. You can join us. You can type Babel into the search field on Facebook, or you can go to our website at trek.fm and hit discussion on any of the menu bars, and we'll let you right in. And if you have some thoughts that you'd like to share, maybe in a long-form manner, you can go over to trek.fm slash contact, choose a show, choose the 602 Club, and that will send an email to me and any of the hosts that are on that week. And so it's a great way to connect with us in the show uh, and to let us know what you're thinking or maybe you have some ideas about the show or you just want to say hi, which would be great. So uh, hit us up with that. Now, Bruce, this book is about the Legends of Luke Skywalker, and yet their framing device for giving us these stories I thought was very interesting because it I feel like it sets up kind of the milieu they're going for with the end of The Last Jedi. Now, the nice thing about talking about this book now is that everybody's hopefully seen the movie, which I'm sure that everybody listening to this has. And this ship uh, that the story is about is traveling across the galaxy to Canto Bight, and the deckhands are bored as they're kind of making their journey. Uh, they're delivering fathers to uh, Canto Bight, and they start telling stories about the legendary Jedi Knight Luke Skywalker. And, um, you know, some of these are mysterious. Some of them feel like tall tales. Uh, some of them feel like they were written on a really bad, you know, fake news site. Um, 
But <laughs> I, I thought that this was a, a kind of a fascinating way to really get across, I think, what the movie hoped to about the idea of Luke Skywalker. Yeah, and the fact that it involves kids uh, is good because this book, as I saw on Amazon, says it's for ages 8 to 12. It's young adults, so I think we should call that out, even though a lot of times... So it's perfect for my, for me. So I yeah. actually understood what I was reading. Uh, <laughs> and uh, sometimes I feel like Star Wars books are sometimes better in that format. But regardless... but yeah. But, you know, it's it's great having the kids there. And it's like you said, it's the framing of what Disney and Lucasfilm have been doing in this time period of the sequel trilogy of building Luke Skywalker as a legend, as a myth, which I always find somewhat funny because it's only been, you know, 10, 20 years since maybe. Well, OK, it's been 30 years between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. So, you know, he was around for a good time piece of that so maybe right. you know he's been gone for 10 years and already he's a legend he's a myth and it's similar to what we saw in the original trilogy when they talk about jedi as you know an ancient religion like the way they talk about past people from the past and 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 religions from the past they talk about it as if they're like 100 or 200 years old when it's only been like a decade or two but <laughs> you know i it's something and i like that you brought that up because i was thinking about that whole idea and you know we know that there are around, I think, 10,000 Jedi Knights in the galaxy during, uh, at the beginning of, like, the Clone War. And uh, so when you think about the vastness of the galaxy, you know, you put that in perspective. We follow the Jedi around in what we've seen. But we know, like, John Mills and I were talking about this today, um, just together, uh, the idea of how little we've seen of the Star Wars galaxy. Mm -hmm. We have such a small picture of it because we've really seen it through the lens of the Skywalker saga. And, of course, you know, in the Clone Wars, which is amazing, and we really got that expanded... I feel like the Clone Wars kind of opens up the galaxy in ways that we didn't even expect to have happen. And yet, still, the, the galaxy as we knew it is is kind of small um, for what we know, for what we've seen. And so I think that's the most interesting thing to me. And um, it really, it, it brings home the idea to me that if there's only one Jedi Knight left that's known to anyone in the galaxy, unless you run into him like some of these people do in this book, he is just going to be a story that you hear or you saw on the hollow net or, you know, you heard talked about in a CD bar or something like that, you know? So uh, it, it is fascinating, but I also think it brings home the point that Luke was not quick um, to start his, his new order. It, it does seem like that Luke, that that the process of, of, of what we see in this book of him kind of traveling the galaxy and learning about the Force seems to probably take him a while, and that probably amplifies his uh, legendary status. You know, wait for it, wait for it. <laughs> and I hope you like blue milk because the end is dairy. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that's really... Uh, I feel like this book is is actually some of these stories represent the things that I would have longed to have seen 
in a Luke Skywalker animated series set in this time period and what he was doing. Like a few of these stories I feel like would make amazing animated episodes for a show following Luke as he's, you know, looking for and studying things about the Jedi that he didn't know. Well, it feels at this point when you're looking at the novels that we're getting now that take place in this new canon, it doesn't feel like Luke is really doing a whole lot to fight evil and go on big adventures, meaning he's not fighting an Admiral Thrawn or the Yuuzhan Vaughn War or anything like that. It seems as if he's on a quest to learn about the Force and to become a better Jedi and then to yeah. pass that on. And that's what we see in this book is him not just going and trying to find texts about the Jedi or teachings of the Jedi, but he himself is trying to find new information about the Force or how other cultures and species that are remote from the core of the galaxy, how they view the Force and learn something from that. So in a lot of ways, he is discovering a new Jedi way through these journeys. And I just wonder if that's what he's doing for most of his life up through between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it it does seem like that. And um, I, I do want to say that um, I, I like the, the framing device because it gives us a sense of the way in which the galaxy views the Jedi and the crazy stories that they've heard. And so you go anywhere in these stories from somebody who would be a, you know, fake news skeptic to a true believer and everything in between that um, is the who tells us these stories. And I think that has a varied effect on the book, you know, and it, and it's quality because, um, some of the stories are much better in the end than others. And, um, you know, that's, yeah. I don't want to get too far into that because uh, I don't want to give away the my complete thoughts on the book. It'd be interesting but, to see if we feel the same about the stories. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, we... We've got that whole idea of them telling these stories, and and it really does connect with the idea of what we see in the film, especially at, at the very end of the you know the young kids talking about the story of Luke Skywalker that apparently somehow has already gotten to Canto Bight, even though it happened just three seconds ago on a planet where that seems to be in the middle of nowhere. Um, but they're already telling the story, and uh, this really does connect with that idea um, that people sit around um, when they're bored and and tell these type of stories about the galaxy. You know, in the same way, it, it reminded me a little bit of you'd get the old mythologies, you know, and, and you'd have um, the people just sitting around a campfire um, and somebody start telling uh, stories, and that's what we get. So the first story is called The Mythbuster, and it's the quote-unquote dink-dink tale of Luke Claude Plotter, Benny Wiseman O'Kenobi, Chewie Shaggy Berkarat, and Hansel Lightning Hands Shooter. 
So it's the real story of the people that we all know as Luke, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Chewbacca, and Han Solo. Um, (sighs) (laughs) Wow. I don't have tons to say about this one. Oh, I do. Okay, (laughs) go for it. So I, I didn't like this one. There, there is one thing that I really did enjoy about it. Well, I, I like it and I don't like it. But anyway, what I don't like about this story is just what you just read. I mean, we're going into a book about the legends of Luke Skywalker. We already know that we're not going to get accurate stories of Luke Skywalker because these are legends. But this is so far out of anything that's plausible. I mean, it's so far from the truth because it's really telling the story of a new hope. And getting it so wrong, and the name so wrong, but then they revert to the fact that they, they eventually become Luke Skywalker and Chewbacca. They get the names right at the end, but it's it. To me, I felt like it was supposed to be a cute, funny story, and I guess. Oh, I think it is supposed to be cute and funny. I mean, and, and, and but it's and not it, what it I want. Feels like it's supposed to be. I mean, it literally is winking. It's breaking the fourth wall by doing things by. Uh, you know, mentioning the discrepancies between the uh, you know, original trilogy right. as it was first released and the special editions, things like that. And so, I, yeah, I mean, it is trying to be very cute and funny, and you know, um, wink, wink, wink. Look how cute we're being. Yeah, that and and the discrepancies between the original trilogy and the special edition is what I was referring to earlier when I said there was something in here that I liked, but then I didn't like, I thought it was clever. I thought it was kind of cute that they did that. Uh, But then I didn't like that at the same time because it's trying to be too clever and cute and this. Okay, here we go, Matt, get ready for this. This is the one time when I was finished this story, I put the book down and I thought, how do I tell Matt that I'm not going to come on the show? Cause I don't want to read the rest of this. I almost, and I, it's rare if anything, anytime that I am willing to stop a book that I'm not going to go forward with it. I was like, I can't read stuff like this. This isn't like, this isn't Star Wars, meaning like, oh, it doesn't mean like, oh, it doesn't feel like Star Wars. It's just, it's not anything I'm interested in. It was nothing that I care about. And it's telling a story we already know, which is the original trilogy. I mean, which is the new hope, just, you know, making it, trying to be weird and funny well no uh can i can i just say i i honestly um i don't think this story is very star wars no star wars it is something that contains that mythology to it that it always believes itself you know even when it with the rest of the I i would say most of the rest of these stories definitely take themselves seriously and and that's an important thing in Star Wars because it is having amazing amount of fun with itself, right? You know, some of the Clone Wars episodes do that. They they take themselves way less seriously. See any of the droids episodes, um, you know, and try to do some really goofy off the wall things, right? But there always is a reality to the characters inside those stories. And this one just feels so conspiracy theorist 
fake news. Uh, you know, it, it, it feels so tied to everything that we get today with, you know, the, you get those really interesting websites talking about how, you know, everything is fake that, you know, from the moon landing to nine 11, you know, it's just, it, it's insane. Um, and this is kind of what this portrays what we know of as a new hope to be. And, it really was not the way to start off the book. I 100% agree with you. Well, and I'm glad you just said that part. Well, I was going to say fake news, uh, and you took that, so I think that's cool that you said that. But uh, <laughs> I I think this may have worked better if it was somewhere later in the book, that we had a, a, maybe a serious, yeah, story, yeah. a serious story or two, and then this is kind of like a break in that. And you know that the rest of the book, because I, when I read this, I thought, oh my gosh, this whole book is going to be like this. I can't do this. And this story would have been a little better if it didn't try to be as funny. If it just would have said, you know, these are the events of a new hope, but perceived or been told differently. And people in the galaxy have got it in a, got it wrong, but in right. a serious way, as opposed to being cute and funny i mean again you, you know you're aiming this book at more of a younger audience so you know well and I, so you said that but i feel like there are some stories in this book that are just at the same level as anything we've read for adults you know so i feel like there's an interesting balance i i don't really know if this one even would work as well on kids personally because yeah. how many of them are really going to understand the funniest parts of this story, which you mentioned, which are the who, what kid that's five years, five to ten years old has seen the original trilogy as originally seen in the theaters? What we grew up with with the VHSs, probably one point zero zero one percent, because their parents still have the VHSs or the Laserdisc copies that are on DVD now. You know, like. So it, it, they're not even going to really be getting the humor because the humor's over their heads. Right, that's true. They're not going to know that there's the original version and the special edition. Right. To know yeah. that, you know, when they say, you know, there's footage or whatever how Alderaan exploded and exploded one way and then there was another way. So, you know, something's doctored because we've seen two different versions of how it exploded and so on and so forth. And, and you know, and cheap, you know, special effects at some points and they're mentioning that. And yeah, I, cause my daughter, uh, who's a star Wars fan, who's 13, when I was describing some of this, I was just like, yeah, there's things in this book like this and something we'll talk about later. And she's like, Oh, actually that sounds kind of cool. I want to read that. So, I mean, maybe it's appealing to her, but you're right. She's yeah, not going to get half of this stuff probably that we just discussed. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but, Let's, I think we covered that story enough. I, we, we don't need to talk about that one anymore because I, w I do want to get to the next story, which is called The Starship Graveyard. And it tells about Luke's supposed involvement in the Battle of Jakku as told from the point of view of an Imperial officer that he ended up saving on Jakku. And I'm wondering what you think of this one, because I, I do feel like more than anything, this one is a complete 180 from what we got with the first story, at least. Yes. So therefore, I like this one much better. I don't know. Maybe I like it more than I should, 
because after the first one, this one seemed really good. <laughs> but um, I, I did like it because I liked getting it from the point of view of the Imperial officer and he's stranded there, Jakku, after the battle and Luke Skywalker is there. And we see that Luke is willing to help someone who is actually, you know, the enemy. And Luke even tells him that, you know, I don't like the Empire, but I'm going to help you out. And, you know, you're dehydrated and here, drink some water and here, let me take you here to get some medical attention and such. And uh, he saves a group of people from the lava or whatever that was going on. So uh, it was good to see Luke in that way. But at the same time, he was portrayed as being mysterious. Like, we're not even sure. Or the Imperial officer thinks he knows who he is and then later confirms, like, you know, I think I know who you are because he saw a hologram of him on the ship as being the Jedi that they're after. But, you know, it was I, I liked it. It wasn't that something I loved, but, you know, I did like this story. See, uh, and what I liked about this story, too, is that it starts off really big and very mythic because the Imperial officer's first view of this being is the Battle of Jakku, which is not going well for the Empire at this point. And what he thinks he sees is a hologram. And so, again, this is where the legend part comes in of Luke Skywalker in space, not in a starship, just taking down Star Destroyers left and right. And so it creates this... It, it reminded me... Remember um, the Clone Wars uh, micro-series where Mace Windu just destroys that entire army and that big stomper all by yes, himself? yes. That's what we get. That's the picture of Luke Skywalker's power that we get from the Imperial officer's point of view while they're in space, is that Luke is out in space with lightning bolts flying from his hands, bringing down Star Destroyers like Starkiller. Uh, you know, it, it's it's epic. And, and so when we get to Luke saving this guy on the planet and helping him, what's wonderful is watching his preconceptions of who this person is change. Because he asks, why are you helping me? And Luke's answer to him is, what does one being want with another in the desert? Right. And by the end of the story, you realize that what one being wants with another in the desert is to help them survive uh -huh. because the best way to survive is together and so i really really liked that about this story so not only do we have you know the mythic nature of star wars here in this story but i think we also have what is very george lucas which is the message part of the story yes definitely the message part of it um but it also ends with when we get back to our framing stories around this, the the ship crew, they're, they're even questioning if it was really even Luke Skywalker, which is interesting, too, because I don't recall from anything that we've seen published so far about the Battle of Jakku that Luke Skywalker was there. And they even the question that. The only thing that. I think is Battlefront. I think in the Battlefront game now, Luke is there 
Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't have a gaming system that allows me to be able to play Battlefront, but I, I, I feel like from what I saw from that, Luke was there. So Possibly, yeah. I, yeah. So, uh, again, the listeners can let me know if I'm wrong on Twitter, because that's what Twitter's for. But I, I no, and what did you think of the whole idea, too? This starts here in this story, this idea, because the person says, are you Luke Skywalker? And he says, we're all Luke Skywalker. And then he just disappears um, <laughs> right. into the darkness. Yes. And that that we are all Skywalker, Luke Skywalker carries on throughout the book. Yeah, which I thought, you know, is obviously the thing that they want to connect specifically with The Last Jedi of this idea that the way we live and the deeds we do, if we do them correctly, they inspire others to be like us. And that, I think, uh, was a huge part of, of The Last Jedi because the person that we're supposed to connect with in that film is Rey. And Rey's whole point in that is that she is holding on to the legend of Luke Skywalker, which was the person who redeemed Darth Vader. And she's holding on to these Jedi texts. And so she is the person that's holding on to the story, the idea, the thing that Luke made bigger than himself through his life and through his self-sacrifice and through his belief in another person. And so um, I, I feel like this story really gets that across. I also, I thought Luke's saving of the Imperial outpost and the people that were uh, hiding in there mm -hmm. Because it had been abandoned, um, and there a starship crashes. One of the starships crash, and it explodes, and then it liquefies basically the sand and turns it into like this molten sand, which will then turn into you know, uh, I think once that cools, it will probably turn into glass. But um, they have to get across it, so he helps people across it, and they, they call him a Skywalker. Um, and I thought it was just kind of clever because he doesn't know who he is, but he's like, he's a Skywalker. That's what he looks like with his, you know, I don't know what they called them. Um, you know, like it was like snowshoes, yeah. but for sand. Uh, and that I just thought that this story gets clever really well. Um, and it gets I felt like it just got the f the feeling of. Star Wars and telling a story about Luke Skywalker in this time period. This is the story, and I don't know if you felt this way, but I was like, okay, this book could be good. Yes. Yeah, it was at this point that I thought, okay, if we keep these kind of stories going, then we're good. Okay, I'm willing to get to the next one now and keep this going. Because like I said, I almost gave up on you, Matt. I almost gave up on you. I almost said, no, I'm not going to keep going. But I went. And I'm glad I did because then this redeemed. And thankfully, just so everybody who knows who hasn't read the book that is listening to this regardless, uh, that first story we we're complaining about, that's the only time there's a story like that for the most part. Yes, yes, yes. We get to Fishing in the Deluge, which is the next story. And wow, um, I'm really interested to hear what you think about this one. Well, I, so when I saw the Super Bowl before I read this book, and there was a lot of ads about Tide detergent, 
And then so I yeah. got to this story, and this has a lot of. It was tie. a tie dad. <laughs> yes, it's a tie dad. A tie dad. Tie dad. Tie dad. Tie tied ad. So <laughs> anyway, actually, I would say this is probably my favorite of the stories uh, because there's the civilization that Luke visits and they have a relationship with the force, which they call the tide. Now, you know why I'm saying tide. And so the tide really is the force because that's what they refer to it as, but they don't use the force by manipulating it or using it for their own means. They allow the tide to tell them what to do. They don't take control of it. Unlike Luke. Right, they allow it to wash over them. Therefore, the name Tide. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's a Tide ad. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I completely agree with you. Um, I, I think this story kind of captured the heart of what a lot of us have kind of hoped for as we knew that Luke was doing this, of traveling the galaxy, uh, what this reminded me of very much was the Fate of the Jedi yes! series. I was going to say that. Boy, we're like yeah, sticking the same things on these. Yeah, <laughs> where Ben, his son, and he are traveling the galaxy learning about the Force from different Force-using sects around the galaxy. And the, I, I felt like they kind of pulled that idea. And I loved the place that he goes, this um, planet Luel, and the Luellians here, and that they live on an island planet, so it's mostly water, and there are these massive four-winged creatures that they use to fly on, and they learn how to fish. This is where the whole fishing thing from Last Jedi and this connects. This is where Luke learns how to do that with a pole that's, you know, as long as, like, a 20-story building. Um, and... It was fascinating because this is the one story where we truly, there's another story that's close to this, but this is the one where we truly delve into the idea of Luke learning about the Force from another group of people that really challenged the ideas that Luke has about the Force. And I loved Luke having to unlearn and he even says this that he has to unlearn what he's learned this idea of of he kind of learning to manipulate the force continually and always using it like that and finding a completely new way to learn about the force and allow the force to use him instead to allow the force to have more of a control in his life, I thought was really well done and really fascinating. And something that I just, I wasn't expecting from this book, especially after that first story. <laughs> well, if I had listened to the tide, I probably wouldn't have read the first story. Um, but that's the, the whole thing. You know, I'm just thinking right now about how Luke got to this planet. I don't even know how he found out about this group of people because it's it's talked as if you know no one seems to know they're on the outskirts or somewhere far outside the galaxy or something to that effect i'm also interested to know what time period in his life 
that he was there was this shortly after return of the jedi or sometime much later i'm assuming it's fairly early but again this gets back to what i was saying earlier about luke discovering things about the force and being a jedi by not referring to just the teachings of the jedi he actually goes to this other group of people that sees things in a different way that actually is using the force which they don't even interpret and call the force they see it so much differently and so he sees a different light in the force to the point that even when he set up with the three levels of training basically or tests that they give him to go through then the last test he spears a fish but then he lets it go and that means when he returns back to the island he has failed the test because he doesn't have the fish but for him he was willing to allow the fish to continue to live but for him he learned what he needed to he didn't have to prove to them that he passed their tests he passed and found out all the information he was looking for that he could take with him. So for him, he actually succeeded. Well, and in a lot of ways, what I thought was really interesting was Luke beginning to learn that being more in tune with the force to go deeper into the force so that you are in concert with its will. So that it it moves through you and you become a conduit for it. And and uh, interestingly enough, over in aggressive negotiations, John and I were just talking about Mortis. You know, and I'm thinking about this idea of being so in tune with the Force that your will and its will are aligned. And I feel like the Llewellyans live in that way. They are so in tune with the rhythm of the tide that it allows them to be able to survive in a way that allows them to fish because uh, the force is about uh, taking care of all living things, you know, in the circle of life. And so as Luke allows himself to let go and become one with the force, He's able to do something that he wasn't able to do just by con- trying to control and or manipulate, um, which is something I think that's fascinating because it's kind of a lesson that Anakin can never learn about the Force. He always wants to be in control, and Luke very much has that proclivity as well of wanting to be in control. Yeah. And that fishing scene plays into this too because he can't get the fish at first and he can't figure out why. And he learns that because he's trying to use the force to get the fish as opposed to allowing the force to have him get the fish. (laughs) You know, it's like not use it, not control it like you said, but just allow the force to do it for him without trying to control it. He, it controls what he's doing. Right. Well, and it reminds me of what, you know, the conversation he has with Kenobi, you know. Um, so it controls your actions, Ben says partially, but it can also obey your commands. And Luke here is having to learn the difference between those two of when to control and, and when to not control, when to let go and just be one with the force and i think 
that it's really interesting because he kind of learns this thing. He he says, uh, to see the light side and the dark side of the force is a sunlit foam and the shadowed eddies of the same tide. To accept that the force has a greater will than the individual and to trust that sometimes to yield is not to surrender, but to dissolve the ego into the grand web that connects us all. I think there's this real idea of Luke really under starting to understand the Force. And I love, too, he says, that uh, that there are more ways to serve good than by fighting, you know, or confronting evil. He said, you can serve the good by standing guard and maintaining pools of tranquility and peace. You can also rebuke evil by showing that there's another way than death and warfare. He said, we're all connected to the tide, and there's a time and a place to rest as well as a time and a place to act. And what I feel like Luke is able to learn is the fact that there's a time for war and there's a time for peace. You know, there's a time to act and there's a time to rest. There's a time to play and there's a time to mourn. You know, like he's learning this rhythm of life. And and I wanted to ask you too, because it, this story really seems to set up this idea because he talks about teaching somebody and he says the fish will come when the moment is right and it feels like this is the perfect setup for george lucas's idea for the last jedi but not ryan johnson's see that's interesting because i saw how this connects to the last Jedi. I mean, earlier you were mentioning, he says, and there are more ways to serve good than by fighting and confronting evil. And that's what I see in the last Jedi, where instead of fighting and confronting Kylo Ren, I mean, I know he's, you know, on act two to die, as he says, and the Jedi might end or must end. But at the same time, I wonder you know, if he is saying, look, I haven't been shown that there's any time that I need to get involved. There's nothing that is calling me and I'm either going to sit here and die or something's going to call me. And so far nothing has called until Ray shows up. I mean, it might be a little bit of a stretch, but I think that's the same thing. You know, the fish will, will come to me when the moment is right. And I wonder if Ray is that fish. See, the thing that i f- the thing that i feel is that george's idea what we know from the the art of book was that you know bad thing would have happened ben would have turned uh he would have destroyed the temple and luke would have um you know gone into exile basically um don't know ex- we don't have all the details but he would have gone into exile and then Kira slash Ray would have showed up and by the end of episode seven would have been able to convince Luke to come back and, you know, get back in the fight basically to, 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 to be who he should be. Um, and that felt much more like this idea almost of Luke not having the burden of having Ben's turn be about a mistake of him almost the or contemplating killing his nephew in front of him, um, but that it would have been a little bit more like an Obi Wan or 
Yoda exile of maybe I need to go and wait till the right person comes and finds me just as they did because I obviously don't have the answer at this moment kind of thing. Right. And Being patient. So I, yeah, to be patient. And, 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 and again, to allow the force its will to bring the right person around. And so there is, I think there still is some connection to The Last Jedi, and I, I get where, I get where they want that connection to be, but I, I feel like it would be stronger if it had been George's idea than it was the way they did episode seven and eight here. And part of that too is, is that this story, Luke seems so in tune and so willing to admit his, his shortcomings and to grow. This Luke feels so antithetical to the Luke that we see in the last Jedi. And I have, this is the Luke that I know. I don't know that Luke. Um, and I don't like that Luke. Uh, and it, what's hard for me is that this is who I thought Luke Skywalker was. I still don't understand how in the world we get The Last Jedi Luke Skywalker. Well, in some ways, that's a failing of this book of trying not to connect more to that, maybe. Um, it could be, yeah, you know. absolutely. I, I don't because, want to say it's a I failure mean, of the book, but it doesn't address it. Yes, yes. I, well, and I, I, I wanted to ask you that because I know you like The Last Jedi more than I do. Because you're lukewarm about it. I am lukewarm about it. Um, so does does this book, when you read this and you see this Luke Skywalker, because this Luke feels very much like the Luke of the EU, you know, the best EU books. Um, very open, willing to learn, willing to grow. Um, has a slight arrogance about him at some points, but also at the same time, very much uh, someone who is is open. And how, how, I don't know. How do you reconcile those two? I'm wondering, I guess. Well, yeah, there's some Question. points in this book where he's a little arrogant. And I felt that I could see some connection to maybe where he was going into The Last Jedi. Um, but the thing is, the problem with this book, I don't want to say it's a problem. I keep saying it's a problem, but it's not a problem. The book, it doesn't really set up when these stories take place. So if it's yes, that's very earlier true. in his life then it makes sense. If this is if these stories are taking place just within, you know, five, ten years of The Last Jedi, then eh, maybe it's not really connecting. I mean, I feel like there's this I feel like the Luke Skywalker that you're talking about, for the most part, is the Luke Skywalker he is for most of his life. It's only in the events leading up to The Last Jedi of those last few years or so that I don't know. I just feel like there's just this burden, this whole idea of legends that he feels like he has to live up to. And he's the lone Jedi and he's the only one left. And the galaxy expects so much from him and there's only so much he can do. And that when he does or he feels that he has failed at something and he's repeating things that were done wrong by previous Jedi, I feel that at that point he's just like, you know, I need to. I can't be all I can be. I can only do so much. And it's almost like the point where he's at, you know, an age of retirement. Like, I'm just, I'm just ready to retire. I can't save the galaxy all the time. And as much knowledge 
and maybe I, cause I relate to them because maybe cause I hate to say this, maybe cause I'm older now, <laughs> but it's like, there were things that I would invest my time and efforts in learning and, and had passion for. And over time, I don't feel quite as passionate about, and I almost feel sometimes of just saying, you know what? I've had enough. I've kind of had enough. I, I, I don't know. I don't even know how to explain that, but, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how this connects to the stories, but I don't feel like the no, stories were really bridge to I, that. I do see what you're saying. Um, honestly, I do see what you're saying. And I, I think what it is, and, and I think you're, I think you called out something that's really smart, um, which is the problem with a lot of what we're getting is that we don't know the, the timeline right. for it. So the problem with the stories that are the best here, it, and we have a few, that are really good. This again, this Luke feels so different than that Luke. We still don't have an idea of really how he gets there. And like you, you called out something that's, again, a really great point, Bruce. This feels like the Luke pretty much that he's been his whole life. But not only that, it feels like the Luke post Return of the Jedi, who does have reason to be somewhat arrogant if he wanted to be. But what I thought was interesting here is that Luke's arrogance quickly turns to a state of learning again. You know, I mean, even this story specifically, he calls out the idea that he must unlearn what he has learned uh, and realizing that he's not right. And and uh, even the moment when he's fishing and he's so frustrated um, and he's talking, you know, to, to her and she's saying, you know, I've done every trick I know with the force. She's like, well, why Why do you feel that you need to control it? You know, why don't you just let it flow through you? Which is so funny because it's the original lesson that he learned from Kenobi. Mm -hmm. Allow it to flow through you. You know, your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. You know, and he's again just learning that very basic lesson. And I think that's what makes this story to me. I absolutely agree with you. I think it could be the best story in the book yeah. um, because I, I feel like it, absolutely 100% nails the character of Luke Skywalker. And it really gives us, I think, a beautiful story about him post-Return of the Jedi that I adore. There's absolutely 100% adore. And I feel, feel that it's also helping to clarify, clarify and define the Force in a, in a nice way by calling it the Tide. I mean, if you had a thesaurus and you looked up Force, I would think, the word tide would be there because you know we talk about the force and balance but when it comes to the tide it's almost like you know there's waves and then you know bring balance to to the tide or something i don't know <laughs> you know it's no no i like that i mean the idea that it comes in and out that there is an ebb and flow right. to it that there's um which kind of brings in that idea of like this kind of circle of life type feel to it as well so no i think you're absolutely right the tide kind of becomes a perfect name for the force and especially for them being on a you know water planet it makes complete sense uh, but i also think it 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 creates a nice name that works thematically with what they're trying to teach luke skywalker at this point which i think is just well thought out again this story is just really well done so you know I, I could I could recommend you just picking up this book to read this story if you had an opportunity because I feel like this one is just that good. 
So, well, okay, we waxed eloquent enough about that. Uh, we have the next story, which is iDroid. And this one is, is told from the perspective of a droid that was sold into slavery and is saved by R2-D2 and Luke Skywalker. Um, why did you end up thinking of this one, Bruce? Because this one, I I was a little wary when it started off with it being a droid telling the story, but it won me over. So of the stories in here, if I had to rank them, this would fall in the middle. There's the stories that I like, there's the stories I don't like, and the stories that just I'm neutral on. And this one I'm neutral on, even to the point that before we started recording, I was just trying to gather my thoughts together on the stories. And this was one story I couldn't even remember. I was like, wait, I don't even remember reading. Like, I don't remember what this story is. And I started reading through it and started coming back to me. I'm like, oh, yeah. And I still couldn't remember how it played out. And then I remember, oh, I know. I remember Luke being a droid. <laughs> you know, But it just, so I read it twice just because I couldn't remember the first time I read it. And it's, for me, just, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. I feel like there's just a lot of exposition about this droid and, and just what he's doing and how he's getting there and what he's doing with the other droids. And there's just like, it just didn't feel like it was really going anywhere very fast. And then for Luke to show up and he really didn't do a whole lot. It just, it, you know, it's like uh, Indiana Jones in the temple of doom but take all the action away and just put a bunch of droids in there. And then Luke shows up and shows them how to, you know, Oh, you go this way to get out. <laughs> That's what it felt like to me. You know, that is kind of funny. Uh, this does kind of feel like Luke Skywalker in the temple of doom uh, in a lot of ways. And um, the, the setup what the, for this one was interesting, which is that it's this planet that, it has a really harsh environment, and um, because of its harsh environment, it creates these teardrop gem-like substances that are sought after in the galaxy, like really sought after in the galaxy. And because they're so sought after, it has allowed the creation of a society above in this like floating weird you know, space station-y type place that it feels like um, the Libertine planet. Uh, you know, everybody says that, you know, they're a philosopher and they're working on music and poetry and it just seems like it, it's the world's weirdest Star Wars hippie type community, but much more elegant. Um, and that it's a place... Um, it's like a warped Tomorrowland. Yes. If you've seen the movie Tomorrowland, it's like a really warped Tomorrowland. And so they don't really want to do any work, but they want the benefits. Uh, they, they live off the benefits, right? Of, of, um, and they, to do that, they steal droids. And the one thing about the story I will ding it for is it's not completely clear whether... R2 is accidentally stolen, or if it's on purpose. Yeah, I wondered that too. Because at some points you kind of feel like it was an accident, and other points you feel like it was maybe on purpose. Um, and in the end, Luke kind of comes in and saves the day, um, which is awesome. 
and I like the way he does it, dressed as as uh, basically a C three PO, and he's mimicking C three PO, which I thought was really funny. Uh, yeah. I thought that was really clever. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I feel like this one is a good story, but it's not great. It it just it it's kind of there, and it, it's kind of a fun little adventure for him and R two and this other droid. Um, and it's kind of let's put it this way. For droid stories and stories told from the droid point of view, and we had one uh, in the 40th anniversary book from a certain point of view, this one is miles above that. Oh, yes. So that's a good thing. But I agree with you. I feel like this is kind of right in the middle of the stories. Yeah. It's it's just, yeah, it's okay. Uh, Yeah, and again, like you said, I don't know if how, why R2 was there, if it was... He was captured. He meant to be captured. I don't know how Luke knew if 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 he was captured. I don't know how Luke knew he was there. I I don't you know who's Snoke. I mean that still hasn't been. Oh wait, I'm jumping to something else. Sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's the wrong part of the Last Jedi. We're not there yet. <laughs> but yeah, I droid. It's not I Jedi. That's all I have to say. What if what if they just came out with a book that's just called I Snoke. <laughs> <laughs> I would read that, but it would be by the end of it. You still don't know who Snoke is and where he came from. So, yeah. just a, a, just spoiling it for you. Um, the next story: the tale of Lugubrious Moat. Uh, a mite living on Salacious Crumb helps save Leia and Luke in Jabba's palace. Oh wait, you said mite, but I'm hearing crickets. Yeah. Ah, uh, um, this is in my bottom half. <laughs> um, I I don't even I really don't know what to say about this story. I I I I I will be completely one hundred percent honest. I reread this book, but I skimmed this one. Well, yeah. <laughs> I why why is this in here, Bruce? Okay, why? so what is your problem with the might? It just doesn't make right with this story. Is what happens. Uh, well, it's a legend. It's <laughs> it's um it's an it's dumb. Okay, it's it it's just dumb. It's it's dumb. But okay, so when I was going into this book, because this book came out a few months ago, I heard people have read this, and I I knew about this because that's the thing people were talking about. Like, oh yeah, there's a flea that's in this book that tells the story or something of Luke or whatever. And so I was already expecting it, but I didn't have that much of a problem with the mite uh, because this is Star Wars and there's all kinds of weird creatures and they all talk or whatever. And it's sure, I mean, we can have like a, a little flea or something that, that can talk or whatever. I'm like, I can buy that, you know, a little strange creature. I'm okay with that. What I didn't like about this story is we already know the freaking story. It's the whole story on Tatooine in Return of the Jedi. And so all I did was reread what I've already read before. The only difference is everything that Luke does in the story, he was told to do it by the might. And so I know where the story's going through the whole thing. It's like, okay, yeah, then we're going to go to the scene where we're on the sail barge and the might's going to tell Luke what to do. And that's exactly what happens through the whole thing. And it's like, I felt like I was wasting my time. I would have had a better, I would have enjoyed the story if it wasn't the story. I would have enjoyed the story if it was an original story 
being told by this might that is trying to take credit for what Luke did, but at least it would be original story. Like even if it was yes. the, the story uh, that we had earlier, uh, for example, the starship graveyard, if the, if the might was telling that story and said, you know, witnessed it and was telling the story and said, and was telling Luke, you need to help this guy. You need to do this. And he'd be like, yeah, I'm sure he wasn't the one that told Luke to do that. He's just trying to take the credit, but at least we get original story out of it. Yeah. And I think that's what I was trying to say when, and I just couldn't think of any other words, but that's why the story's dumb because I, I don't even buy this as a legend, you know? Like, I just don't. I don't buy this as a legend that the reason that Luke did what he did in Return of the Jedi and Leia did what she did in Return of the Jedi is because of this mic. Yeah, but I don't. I didn't I just, take the story that way. I took the story that this is, you know, fake news, that this is the mic telling the story, and he's just, he was there because he knows the story, unlike that first story we heard in this book where they got it all wrong. The might knows what happened and is getting it right. He's just taking the credit like, yeah, I'm the one who told Luke to do that. I'm the one who told Leia to do that. And no, he didn't. He's just taking the credit because he was embellishing the story. Yeah, no, I I, I do. I mean, again, I, I agree with you completely. I just, this is a story that really frustrated me because I 100% did not need it in the book i i think you kind of nailed it i feel like i'm wasting my time reading it you know and that's really frustrating when there was definitely another story in this book and we talked about it at the beginning that i felt like as a total waste of my time and it, you know if you're telling a, a if you have a book of short stories and you're using different perspectives that's already tough because some may work better than others but in a, in a book of six stories and where two are really not good and then one is, okay, that's, you know, those aren't really good odds, you know? No. So I, 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 that's definitely a frustration. Well, and I, I feel so. like this now ruins the character of Luke Skywalker because from Return of the Jedi on, everything he's do- he does has been told uh he does it because a flea told him to. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> flea bag. But you know, this would have been better if like, you know, earlier there was uh, in the, uh, there was one of the stories where it was, somebody was telling the story from a framing story and in the story that they were telling, there was a framing story in a bar. And I think it was the, it might've been the second story. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, maybe the ship, the starship graveyard or something. there was a story where they were telling, or maybe it was the Mythbuster yeah. one. Uh, yeah. The, it's the, okay, Mythbuster the Mythbuster one, one which was actually kind of, that was probably one of the good things too, because when that story is being told in a bar, obviously Luke was there and he's playing along. Oh really? Is that what happened? Oh, that, that's, that's great. But um, the reason I'm mentioning that is because this, this idea of the might being there for return of the Jedi on Tatooine would have worked in that story at the bar. Somebody's just sitting at the bar going, well, yeah, did you hear about when, you know, Luke took down Jabba the Hutt and blah, 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 yeah. blah. That was me. I was on his shoulder whispering in his ear. He thought it was the force talking to him, but the whole time it was me. End of scene. Mm-hmm. We didn't need a whole story. 
Yeah, no, I you one you nailed it, man, one hundred percent. The last story that we get here is called Big Inside, and I mean, I I personally think this was the way to wrap this up. Um, this one was fun and really well done. I felt like, especially with where we get to at the end of it, the mist. See, now we have the tide. Now we have the mist. This one I was a little more confused about. Like, is the mist the force or? Yes. Because what these, okay, there's these people. Okay, we saw in, uh, the asteroid in um, the slug in the asteroid, which I have on my coffee table over there <laughs> from Empire Strikes Back. There, Luke and this biologist are in the slug and they're, you know, walking around its stomach and building rafts and going across lakes <laughs> in the slug. I mean, there, I, I, this one I wasn't a big fan of, but it's definitely in my top oh, half. Really? No, it's in my top half. Okay. Wow. I, I enjoyed some of it in the slug. First of all, him picking up a hitchhiker he doesn't know didn't sit well with me either, but, um, Okay. But they're in the slug and they're doing this and they come to the shrine and there's like these statues there of these three beings. And this is where things start to get interest, really get interesting. Oh, it gets trippy. It gets trippy, but then it kind of ends that, because I wanted to ask you about this too, because it ends with them, Luke and this biologist getting out of the slug with the help of the trippy <laughs> statues or cocoons. And I'm not sure how they did that. Like I got, I was very confused. Yeah. So it, I, it definitely helped me having read this story twice because it was one that I think it really does delve into. I, I would say that this story kind of delves into the force in some of the ways that the Mortis trilogy does, where it just gets super tripped out. You're like, what? Um, but what it is is that there are these people of the luminous mist. And they, it seems as though they existed before the Jedi. That they've been around, you get the feeling they've been around longer than them. And, and they traveled the galaxy looking for beautiful things, looking for the, the ways in which the mist had created. And they find themselves stuck in this same slug and not able to get out. And so what they do is that they used the mist to create, to help them form silk strands that contained the hidden dimensions of the universe, they say, twisted them into yarn long enough to bind time and wove them into a sheath that wrapped themselves around in a cow that could shroud them basically in a cocoon. And it would keep them alive, and every once in a while they would kind of peer out just a tiny bit, and time would begin to move just a little bit for them, and they kind of got lost in time. Um, and yet, as Luke kind of enters this thing, they they see what they call what they call him as Brightheart, uh, which means uh, with the means to restore the beauty of the mist, like this this person has that ability and that they know that the only way that he will survive is by them 
giving their lives by him cutting them out of their cocoons, releasing that power that will allow him and the the botanist to escape. The botanist. Um, and so it is super trippy. It's it, it again. It reminds me of the Mortis episodes in its trippiness and its idea of the Force. But to me, the fact that we were kind of dealing with beings again that are very dissimilar to anything that we've seen in Star Wars and using the Force in a way that our characters have never even thought about kind of blew my mind and really had me enjoying this story because it added something to the mythos of the Force and to the galaxy uh, and to the idea of that Luke really does have a lot to go out there and learn and discover that we never would have ever thought possible. I mean, this just kind of opened up, again, like Mortis, that, to me, this opened up an amazing part of the universe and made me really want to explore and know more about these people. And it just made me like, This was another place where I had a really hard time, like with what Luke has learned in just some of these journeys here. I don't understand how he makes a judgment that Ben can't be saved with all the crazy things he's seen and done, apparently, or possibly been part of. <laughs> like, how in the world does he come to be that person who has lost all faith that that the force and through him can work miracles you know like that it, it has the ability to do the the impossible it, and it actually reminded because there's even a point in the story um back when the deluge where luke says that's impossible which is exactly what he said to yoda you want the impossible and Yoda says, always with you what cannot be done. And it's uh, like Luke has been learning this lesson continually over his life that the Force can do things beyond even his wildest imagination. And this is what that story showed me. is like beyond anything that you ever thought possible, the Force has the ability to do. Uh, and and it, I don't know. Um, it made me love Luke Skywalker all the more. In, the, in in this book. Um, and it made me heartbroken for the Luke Skywalker that is, but even by the end of uh, the, the Last Jedi. Um, because this Luke gets it. That Luke still doesn't get it, at least to me. Um, so I don't know. That to me, that I, I sorry, I, I really went long there. I apologize. But that, that this story really touched me. I loved this one. Well, I didn't like it as much as you did because, like I said, I, I got a little confused uh, at times. Like, for example, uh, well, first of all, in The Last Jedi, I, I, for your headcanon, why don't you just think of that Luke as being Luke from the Thrawn trilogy? I like it. I will do so. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, I'm just waiting for the real Luke to come around, not Luke. Luke. <laughs> <laughs> I do a little sheep in there. Luke. It's a tight ad. <laughs> it's a tight ad. <laughs> so, um, what 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 I didn't like, and maybe you can clarify this for me, is that these cocoon beings help him 
and the botanists get out. But then what I don't understand is they were themselves trapped, and that's why they put themselves in the cocoon. So if they're able to project someone out, why couldn't they do that to themselves? They can't unwind the cocoons themselves, Luke says. Um, And so they don't have the ability to do what Luke can do with all three of them with his lightsaber at one time. They can't do that. So that's the explanation that the story gives. Uh, Luke says they can't unwind the cocoons themselves. So it's the cocoons uh, that gives them the power? It's the cocoons that, that they've woven that gives them this power. And to release all of that power would take somebody outside the cocoons to do what they need, which is Luke is able to do with his lightsaber. Um, so, I mean... at I, I can't, I'm not saying that that's like the the best answer, but that's the story. Do they come out and it. become so. butterflies and fly around? No. Well, and this was the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting because it connected again, I felt like, to the story that we got with the Deluge story of the idea that there is a time to be born and there's a time to die. And these beings are willing to sacrifice themselves so that Luke can live. And I thought that was kind of beautiful because he connects that with the idea of Obi-Wan Kenobi dying to save him and um, others being willing. And and the whole idea of accepting others' sacrifice on your behalf. He said, it's easier to accept the sacrifice of yourself than it is the sacrifice of others for you. How difficult that is. And so... Letting go of that pride and allowing someone to do something for you, I think, is pretty amazing. And I like, again, I really do like, uh, I I felt like Luke really learned something through this story. I just wish old Luke had really held on to these lessons because uh, it's just it, again this story this one and, and the deluge one specifically really i felt like they they understood luke um because there's other parts of this story too where luke is um very in tune with the idea that he has to take the life of these beings that are attacking them but he takes no pleasure in it he's saddened by it and he doesn't but and, but there's no malice in in him. There's no there's no frustration in their attack. He understands. He's completely in tune with that circle of life point. And again, it just feels like this Luke is really one with the Force here. And I just I like that. That's the Luke that I always have believed in and pictured, especially after Return of the Jedi. And it, I think this story nails that Luke Skywalker. And I. The whole sacrifice and him relating what they were going to do to what Ben did for him on the Death Star, I liked the scene where he mentions that one of the expressions of the one cocoon woman is the same expression Ben gave right before he sacrificed himself. So he knows that look and what it means. Mm. And that's when he knew that they're willing to sacrifice themselves to save them. Yeah, it's that look of serenity. Yes. That 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 total peace with what, you know, he's or, or the choice that you've made. Yeah, and and uh-huh. and they also recognize then to him that 
they they saw other people get trapped in the slug and they didn't do anything to save them. They didn't sacrifice themselves, but they saw something in Luke. But not only did they see something strong in Luke and his connection to the mist, but they saw damage to the mist. They saw some darkness or something or holes in the mist that they realized that he was one that recognized it and could help to repair it. So it made me wonder if when this story took place, because my thought was, was that the Empire? But I would think this takes place after that. See, this is this this is the point of this story. Um, they mentioned that Luke has a beard by this point. So I'm thinking that Luke may be a little bit older. So it could be closer to the first order that they're detecting. This could be closer to that time period where unbeknownst to most in the galaxy, there is a darkness creeping in that they're not willing to admit or even maybe necessarily know about. So I really do think that this one is, you know, this could be like 15, you know, maybe 16, 17 years before, so maybe midway. So Luke has started to get a little bit older. You know, he's been traveling a lot. He's got a beard now. Um, and I, I liked that that they talked about that Luke can be the one to hold back the darkness. Um, again, I just, I wish that Luke actually did that better um, because he really does. I feel like in these stories, we see Luke be the one that I always expected him to be. And I, I feel like in the stories that were good, and I guess it's probably a good point for us to get here, kind of wrap it up. But I 100% feel in the best stories here that they capture the spirit of Luke Skywalker perfectly. And to me, that raises the bar for the book, even though there are a couple of these stories that I absolutely 100% never want to read again. Yes, <laughs> for sure. Um, I may go back and read the the one we just spoke about because I found it a little confusing so maybe a reread would be good about the mist I liked the mist and the tide those were the stories I could do away with everything else but I also like how it wraps up too the the framing story that these are legends and these are you know younger people talking about these stories and and have this interest in Luke Skywalker that they keep wanting to ha hear more stories. So I like that part too. No, I I do as well. Um, Bruce, if you were gonna, if you were going to rate this book, uh, what would you rate the Legends of Luke Skywalker? Oh gosh. So my uh, well, for the reasons we discussed, there's some stories I like and some I don't like. But uh, it knocks it down a notch even more for me. Uh, because I'm disappointed in the latest publications that we've been getting on Star Wars, where I feel like they're kind of being wimps uh, because they keep talking, they keep having characters tell us stories. I feel it's their way to say, well, we said these books are canon, but if we contradict them, that's okay because the stories you're reading 
may or may not be true because they're being told by characters in the universe and they may have gotten some things wrong. So instead of actually getting actual stories like this is what Luke Skywalker got, we're getting, well, these are stories being told by characters, so they may or may not be true. Just like the EU is called Legends, and those stories may or may not be true. So I'm kind of getting frustrated with that. (laughs) So that doesn't help things. One thing I did love about this book that we didn't discuss is the artwork. There's artwork in there for each of the stories. I love those. I would mind having those up on the wall. So, Yes, absolutely. Um, Yeah, so uh, rating-wise, where do you come down? You can do it out however many you want. Well, I would say uh, if I had a dog with fleas, I... I took I got all I got all five fleas off the dog but there was two remaining so two f- fleas out of five. I will agree with you uh in the sense that they have found this very um I think kind of prosaic way to dive around the whole idea of canon and you know tell stories without them necessarily having to mean anything in the long run if they don't want them to. I do find that frustrating. Um, I will say one of the best parts of this book is that story that I love the most, the Tide ad, um, is the one that's told by somebody who actually lived the story. True. Um, she actually is a stowaway on the framing device ship, and she tells that story, and so therefore we know that story to be 100% accurate um, because it's by somebody who actually lived the events with Luke himself. And so I thought that was nice. Um, I also felt like the story of the big inside was one you could trust more because it was told from the standpoint of a scientist. Um, And they tend not to try to embellish all that much. Um, I also thought that, um, I don't know if you thought about this at all, but I loved the big inside and the way that it talked about the idea of um, microcosms within macrocosms. And it really brought the idea to me home of how midi-chlorians work in Star Wars and how the science and the magic of the Force work in concert together. They're not antithetical. Mm-hmm. that it, They're part of the same mystery. And honestly, if you tell me you feel like you still understand all about the Force because you understand the idea of midi-chlorians, I feel like you're a liar, you know, because we still don't, right? Like, there's still... Just because we know this one little scientific bit doesn't negate still the mystery and the magic of the Force that we can't explain. In fact, that story alone confused you a little bit because it got so mythical and magical, you know? Um, So I I really like that. Uh, I think the problem with the book is, is that it starts off weak and then it wastes your time with a couple of stories. And when two out of the six stories really are are honestly, they really are not worth your time reading, I don't think, uh, that's disappointing. Now, I will say on the other side, I think the other four stories are totally worth your time and actually very well done. Um... The iDroid one may be a little less on that totem pole, but still very, very good. Um, So for me, this is three out of five stars. Um, It might be 3.25, but, you know, it's still pretty close. Uh, But 
let me let me speak to those of you who may have felt a little bit more like I did with the last Jedi. If you wanted to feel Luke Skywalker again, I would highly recommend this book to you. Um, if you wanted to feel that Luke Skywalker again, you will feel him in this book. And to me, whether I rated it, whatever my rating was, I feel like should you read it or should you not read it? I say you should read it. So, um, yeah. And in the end, that's that's a win for me. So, yeah. And I think uh, this is I'm, a good author, by the way. I, I really do, and I'd like to see a author do yeah, like a yeah. full novel about Luke or the Force and such. Absolutely. Um, and and we didn't even call out. Uh, I think we may have mentioned it earlier, but this is told within different perspectives, as well as kind of different styles. Some of them work a little bit better than the others, but when he nails it, he completely nails it. And yes, I would love to see him take on more of this, honestly, um, and and give us more Luke Skywalker stories, maybe not completely in this format, um, and a little bit more true to form of a whole novel I would love. So, absolutely. Well, Bruce, I am so excited that we got a chance to talk about this one. Um, Again, I think that some people can probably tell I'm very passionate about a few of these stories. Um, absolutely, 100% love some of them. And I hope you'll check it out. Let us know what you think. Um, in all of the places you can find us over there on social media. Um, but I uh, want to thank our associate producers here through Patreon, Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson, for supporting the show. They've been doing it for so long, and it really means the world to me that they would... Um, now this is a huge network we have so much going on here and there's no way that we can make sure all the shows here on the network keep coming to you each and every week and so Patreon gives you the opportunity to support the network a little bit a month to make sure that all the shows that we're doing keep coming ad free the same quality that you've come to love and know from us here at Trek FM so Go over to patreon.com slash trekfm and you can see how you can be part of our team. We've got many different ways we love giving back to you for different reward levels. Um, but honestly, every little bit helps. So again, go to patreon.com slash trekfm and help us out. We really appreciate it. Now, Bruce, thank you so much for being here with me in the 602 Club. I'm really glad you stuck with it. And uh, tell everybody where they could find you and uh, you know what else you've got going on. Well, when I'm not going to see The Last Jedi for the sixth time, you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex, and you can find me here on the Trek FM network doing Literary Treks with Dan Gunther. It's our official Star Trek books and comics show. And uh, Star Wars, hey, just talking about that right now. You can find me on the Star Wars report, and you can find that on your podcast wherever you get your podcast and on starwarsreport.com and of course i'm always in the babel conference well you can find me on twitter at matt rushing zero two you can also find me on instagram under the same name i'm here on the network doing the orb with chris jones talking about uh, star trek deep space nine on the orb you can find me over on the nerd party network doing aggressive negotiations we just hit episode 100 so check that out as john and i do a really fun commentary on the Mortis Trilogy. Uh, you can find me there doing Owl Posts with Drea Kaufman. We're talking about each and every chapter of the Harry Potter series. And we just finished The Prisoner of Azkaban, so make sure you check that out. You can find me 
last but not least, doing a show with my friend Courtney where we talk all about films through the lens of faith, and that is called Cinema Stories. But thank you so much for joining us, and may the Force be with you. 